What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? This is your co-host, Ridge, back for another episode. Yeah, back again. Chiss over here on the other mic, as always, and uh, we're uh, looking to take you guys into a, a dark, cold weekend known as the International Break. But uh, a lot to mm-hmm. recap. Um, I think our last episode was two weeks ago, so we had some good footy in between. And uh, as always, Jack, you know, excited to get into it. And I uh, think our, our first 30 seconds of the pod, we might as well just record and then just play it each time because I, I think we pretty much say the same thing every time. Yeah, that's true. But I will say, um, you know, shout out other podcasters out there. Um, everyone does the same shit. Like there is very little quality content in the first like 30 seconds to minute of a podcast. Like that's like you just started your run. You just got in the car. You're still kind of like putting in your navigation, like where you're going. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like you, you show up for a golf round. It's a little chilly in the morning. And like rather than just going straight to the first tee, you might hit a couple putts, take a couple swings. And that's like the first 30 seconds to a minute. I just got to get a few words out to remind myself that I can talk. And then, you know, we get rolling. Right. That's good. Um, well, anyway, shout out to, yeah, like I said, shout out to the podcasters out there. Um, and we'll get rolling here. We're going to cover a couple things uh, on this week's edition of uh, the International Break Pod. We're going to cover managers in and out. Um, so what, you know, we've had some new manager hires over the last couple of weeks. Lots to talk about with them, um, especially Dean Smith at Aston Villa um, for our Villa listener, Villa fan listeners. Um, and then we've got a couple of teams we want to talk about. We want to touch on Arsenal and West Ham, a little bit about VAR so far this season. Uh, we'll take a trip to our fantasy corner. Um, major action in the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League last uh, last week, um, and then as always, we'll end with our predictor picks. Join our predictor league via NBC. Um, so, Chris, um, managers in and out. We've had four new manager appointments so far. Well, five, um, five so far this season. Five sackings. Four that have been. Re- yeah, four that have been uh, five sackings. Um, four uh, four that have been more recent. Um, obviously, Watford with Claudio Harry and Claudio Ranieri happened a few weeks ago. I think Ranieri's had three games in charge now. Um, and over the last uh, three weeks, uh, we've seen Newcastle, Spurs, Norwich, and Aston Villa all fire their head coaches. Um, I guess starting off with uh, with any team of your choosing, you can kind of you know pick, pick your team, and then we can talk about the the uh, new new head coach that they're going to get and um, and why. Yeah, I think we'll start with the most recent and the one that we're the most passionate about. So the the situation at Villa, um, Dean Smith, I would say, is sort of a club legend. I mean, he was very well liked by the players, you could tell. I think he had the support of probably about 90% of the the actual supporters as well. Um, Got them up to the prem ahead of expectations, came in from Brentford, did a really good job. And lost five games in a row and he's gone and you could tell the seat was getting a little bit hot I definitely wasn't expecting them to make a move like this um, after last weekend but the performance has been bad and it did seem like if we didn't you know if the, if the board doesn't take action soon it could get a little bit out of hand and they might find themselves slipping into another relegation fight and with the squad they have it's just not really acceptable um, I'm a huge Dean Smith fan I was very upset when I saw this and I think I'm a little bit mixed overall at this point after I've had more time to kind of think about it because I, I'm a big Dean Smith fan. I think that they could have been pretty successful under him. And I think that it was a little harsh um, given the amount of time he spent at the club and given the fact that you know, over the summer you lose your best player and 
the signings that you've brought in haven't really had much of an opportunity. Danny Ings has been banged up a bit. They're trying to figure out the right system with him and, and Ollie to, Watkins together. And you also have uh, Buendia has had some international issues, kind of taking a little while to find his footing. Leon Bailey has been hurt. Uh, but I think what it comes down to is defensively, they've just been a bit of a mess. And I think the other thing is that Dean Smith, uh, you know, there's kind of like two types of approaches to managing, in my opinion. You have the managers that have their system, that it's set in stone. This is how I, these are my tactics. This is how I'm going to run them. And I'm going to find the players to fit that system. And then you have other managers that are, I want to bring in the best players and all set up tactically to suit them. And I think Dean Smith falls into the latter there. Where I don't think he really has like a a tactical DNA, but he he likes to bring in good players and try to figure out how they're going to work best. And this season he just couldn't figure it out. They tried a lot of different formations. They tried a lot of tweaks. Nothing really seemed to work. And when you do that a lot and you're making constant changes, it just kind of shows um, some vulnerability and a little bit of a lack of confidence. And I think that's ultimately kind of what did him in. Wow, fuck. Um, I'll say that was pretty astute. Uh, Chiss on the sort of uh, the two two managerial philosophies, one being a little bit more man management oriented and the other being a little bit more tactical oriented. Um, I, I don't know if I've heard that take kind of laid out that simply, um, but I, I really agree with that. Uh, I have to say, um, maybe one of your best takes on the pod. Well done. Wow. Um, Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I mean that. Um, I because I agree, I, I do think there's sort of two general schools of thought in, in terms of how you're going to ru- uh, run a side. Um, you know, I think about the Antonio Conte, which we'll get into in a second. He's more of a tactician. T- yep. uh, Tuchel at uh, Chelsea, more of a tactician. Um, you know, they have their formation, have their way they're going to play. And um, even Pep, um, he, you know, he's a t- tactician, always played a 4-3-3, high press. Um, you never really see them go five at the back. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, I, I think... When I think about Dean Smith, there's sort of three things that I thought were going to buy him more time in the job, okay? Um, the first one was he uh, is, you know, adored by the players and fans. He's got a good reputation, right? And so I thought, you know, inside the club with the CEO um, and, you know, he got the team promoted and kept him up in the Premier League. His last two seasons have had notable, noticeable achievements. So I thought that was going to maybe buy him a little bit more time this season. Um, the other two things I thought were going to play play into him staying longer were one, um, er, sorry, two, I guess, uh, being that the managerial market isn't that hot right now. Like th- there aren't a bunch of world-class managers out there. Um, there's sort of this youth movement where you're seeing a lot of, you know, historically younger coaches coming through, coaches in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s coming through. And there aren't a button and sort of that, that, that older wave of the Gus Hiddinks and the, um, you know, Jose Mourinho's and, and these guys who are, um, you know, these 60, 70, 80 year old managers, uh, 80s old, but they, they're all a bit, yeah, uh, you know, they're, a <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all, they're all a bit out of the fray right now. And so, um, and, and, you know, no one's really kind of looking for those, uh, you know, those really, really high profile, the Carl, even the Carl Ancelotti's, um, you know, so like, everyone's good. Like even look at Barcelona with the appointment of Xavi. Um, so I think uh, the, the market isn't incredibly sexy for Villa. And it's a difficult place that they're in, in the, in the managerial market, right? You have to go, they want to go and get a world-class manager, but also they don't have European football on their CV. And so they're not going to go and attract, you know, like a, a Tuchel or a Pep or, you know, a, a, a Nagels, uh, Nagelsmann from, um, you know, a Bayern, like these types of, of managers that are in the kind of the European top 10 elite. And that's where Villa want to get. And so they have to find a manager whose career isn't there, isn't there yet, um, who's still willing to get there. 
but they also have to get someone who's unproven, right? Because they they don't they won't they won't be able to get a manager who's already been there. So it's a very interesting market that they're in, kind of the market that like Everton's tried to be in for the last you know uh, ten years or so, and and there's been a you know that, that's a bit of a manager a managerial uh, merry-go-round. So that's the second the, thing, the manager the market's not merry-go-round. I'll, I'll let you finish, but Everton have brought in some pretty reputable names. Yeah, of course. It, that's what I mean. It's a merry-go-round. Like they brought in a bunch of names, and and I feel like none of them have really stuck for you know like more than two seasons, <sighs> right? Um, True. I mean, there's yeah, not a lot of stability from, there, but they've been able to recruit the big name. But that's kind of what you get with some of those guys too, right? Um, and so I think I think that's kind of where Villa is is in that similar market, right? Of, of that just below that European football, the European giant. Um, and so yeah, you know, he had he had a successful last last couple seasons and, and was adored by the players and fans. Um, you know, the managerial market isn't great. And then lastly, you know, Villa don't really know what their best eleven is, and they've quite frankly had a lot of injuries. Um, and so maybe you know you can kind of give him that. You know, okay, it'll improve, it'll improve as, as players get healthy, right? We haven't seen Leon Bailey in multiple games yet so far this season, um, starting multiple games consecutively. Um, Danny Ings, you know, played a few games, has some I think COVID issues now or some sort of health issue. Issue. Um, we, we, I don't think we've put out our best 11 on paper. You know, Ezra, Ezra Constance has been injured. Martinez has had some stuff with internationally. So has Douglas Luiz. Um, Watkins was and, hurt. And, you, and Watkins was hurt to start the season. He's, Bertrand Trevor has been in and out of the team. You still have people like Tresegay who, you know, are, are Ener- Energizer Bunnies off the bench that, that you know, are, are still aren't a part of the squad. Um, and so you've seen, you know, a lot of youngsters in and around the first team with uh, Philogene Bidace, with uh, Jacob Ramsey. Started, Archer. You know, almost every – yep, Cameron Archer. Um, and Carney Chukwameka. So I, I think uh, – you know, I think that maybe that that was the third thing that I thought was going to buy Dean Smith a little bit more time. All in all, um, not to be, and I think the combination of those three things is what makes it feel harsh, right? As a supporter and, and a fan, and I, I agree with your take, Chris. I think I do think it, it feels a little harsh. What I will say though is, having had a little bit more time to digest initially, I was kind of sad because you know I have a natural affinity for Dean with even the things he's achieved with the club. After it settled, I thought, you know what? It makes a lot of sense, um, and to be playing the way that Villa is playing right now, um, and with where Villa wants to be, and um, I, I think you know to lose five, lose five games on the trot in the way they've lost them, I think it, it that that game against Wolves where they let up three goals in the last ten minutes was kind of an unraveling for yeah. Dean Smith, and I think it, I think it kind of spiraled from there. So they've been a mess, and, and I think you can't you and you can't lose games like that. No, you just can't. Let's so let's talk um, let's talk candidates. Um, obviously Gerard is the, the main guy out there right now. Um, it seems everything I'm reading seems like they are very confident. They're going to have a manager in place for their next match after the international break, uh, which is a pretty quick turnaround time. And it seems like Gerard's the top target hearing rumblings that he would be interested. And that's kind of the, the type of name that you would think that they are looking for uh, high reputation. Uh, he's got managerial experience, albeit not in the prem and he seems like the type of guy that the players are going to immediately respect. The downside, I think, is will he view Villa as a stepping stone to ultimately replace Klopp at Liverpool? Maybe um, he hasn't managed in the Premier He's only 41, I think. So it's, it's a little bit risky, but with the squad they have like at this point, I'd rather have them take a risk on a guy that they think can take them into European football. Um, so I, I like the idea of it. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I, the funny thing is the last time we were uh, talking about like imminent news, 
I think was Ronaldo to Man City. And we spent like 10 minutes talking about how that was going to happen. <laughs> and the next day he signed for United and there were like no rumors of that. So, yeah, it's hard to yeah. predict. Um, but I would be kind of surprised at this point if it's someone other than Gerard. Uh, and I, I'd be excited about that appointment. Agreed. I'll plus one to that. I'd be very excited as a Villa fan. I think. I think really the only the only downside is two things. He's you know there's only two downsides, right? He, one, he's never managed in the Premier League, which like is that a huge downside? Look at Patrick Vieira with Crystal Palace right now, um, and then the way that team's performing. And so I think as a Villa fan, I'm taking a lot of sort of comparison from that Vieira appointment and how absolutely fantastic Crystal Palace has been in the Premier League this season and I'm thinking a Jared appointment is very similar um, if not maybe a little better um, because Jared's coming in he's a Premier League legend um, you know he's won uh, he, you know he's won Champions League titles with Liverpool um, he's immediately he's a world former world class midfielder. Immediately he will command all the respect of the players more so than that Dean Smith did walking in the door. Dean Smith had to earn that right as a tactician and a, and a kind of relationship builder. And I think Jared will have that right off the get go. Um, and um, and what they've been doing at Rangers the past two seasons with Gerard have been uh, brilliant. Rangers has kind of taken over as the dominant club in Scotland and become better than Celtic um, after Brendan Rodgers' departure. So. I'm really excited with that as a Villa fan. I think I'm not reading too much into the, you know, oh, it's a stepping stone for Liverpool. Like, you can't hire a manager. Like, I mean, the, the kind of that logic doesn't really make sense to me. Like, you can't hire somebody because in the future they might want to go to another club. Um, you know, who knows? Like, you know, f- five years from now, if Jared goes and achieves things with Villa, like, if Klopp stays and leaves, like, he'll have a decision to make at that point. Villa's more established. Like, you just need someone to take the club forward for the next three seasons, right? And, um, right now so that's i think that's a future problem yeah um, i agree so I, I wouldn't stress about that would, no i don't think it's a reason not to hire somebody but you are looking for a long-term plan and vision and you just got rid of a guy who's been there for three over three years so um i think from that standpoint you do want someone that you think is going to be willing to um build the club back to where they want to be and you know like we were just talking about with everton there's you know like the carlo ancelotti's rafa Benitez type players they're, they're or managers they're more rentals and I don't think Jared's necessarily that, but with his name, it's there's a little bit of a higher probability. Um, anyway, I don't really know if there's even anyone else worth discussing at this point. I've seen links to Roberto Martinez. I don't see that happening. Um, when he was initially f- uh, sacked, I had heard you know like pundits talking about Hasenhuttle as someone that they were interested in. I also don't really see that happening at this point. So I think it's Jared, but it's not. We'll have to regroup and figure it out, but. Um, I think maybe the only other candidate would be some uh, a, a Danish manager of some kind. You are seeing a, a bit of a Danish contingent in the Premier League these days. Um, Brentford being a good example. Brentford have, a, a, I think, maybe six uh, Danish players on their roster, and Thomas Frank, their manager, is, is Danish. Um, I believe they have some sort of Danish owner or uh, chief exec. We don't need to fact-check that, but um, <laughs> Villa do have a, a, a chief exec who is um, Danish, um, and uh, there's been some rumors that we might get the former Denmark um, national team manager as well. I think he's the only other one. That, that That's not a line that I need to keep in my back pocket a little bit more, just the don't fact check that. Or no, actually, sorry, we don't need to fact check that. <laughs> I like that one. I'm going to save that one for later because it's hard to mm-hmm. uh, to really be 100% accurate with everything we say here. We watch a lot of footy, but, <laughs> you know, not everyone can know everything. Right. Um, all right, let's move on from Villa. That was a long, a long, uh, long segment there. Yeah, um, so... What do you want to yeah. go next? 
I was going to say, let's go to Norwich because okay. uh, this one fascinates me. Daniel Farker, um, Chris is someone who you've spoken about like quite affectionately, dare I say. Um, you know, voice crack. Uh, I think that you, you've kind of respected the way Norwich have tried to play. Um, but then the results in the last two appearances in the Premier League, both this season and uh, two seasons ago, have been quite poor. But they've dominated the yip. Um, and Daniel Farka got sacked uh, right after they got their first one of the season. Um, so I guess your take on the on the, the managerial move by Norwich and who do you think goes in next? Um, yeah, I mean, my take is I think Norwich stink. And I think they're a yo-yo <laughs> club and they're going to go down. And then they'll probably come up in a year or two and then they'll go back down. And there's a couple clubs like that. And that's just what Norwich is at this point. Um I don't really know what they're doing with Daniel Farka. <laughs> the funny thing is, you said I've spoken affectionately about him. I don't really remember ever saying anything about him, but I do kind of feel that way. Um, so <laughs> I think he just has this kind of aura about him. Um, I, he's an attractive guy. I feel like, I don't know. I, I like him, but it's weird. Martha, you know? Mar- Martha will be happy that you said he's an attractive guy. She'll be fired. I mean, up. she probably agrees. She's he down. is, I think, objectively pretty attractive, but... You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think when it comes to Norwich, I don't know what their expectations were. But, you know, Daniel Farka had been there for four years, and he had taken them up, gotten relegated, then taken them back up, if I'm not mistaken. We don't need to fact check that. But, yep. um, I mean, it's interesting. You go down and you keep him, and then he gets you back up. And then, <laughs> I mean, the weird part was that they had – just won their first game of the season and he got sacked. So it was clearly a plan mm. before that match. I would think that they're going to, all right, we're, there's an international break coming up. This is when we're going to make our change. Um, it's tough when that happens, when it's already set in stone and they're just trotting them out there for another game when they, they get a win. But I have no idea who's going to go there next. I mean, I don't know who would want to, really. It's someone who's out of a job or someone who's maybe looking to take a leap from the championship. But, like, if you're a manager in a lower division and you're having a pretty good season – I don't really think you want to hitch your wagon to the Norwich uh, bus at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Norwich, Norwich are a difficult team, I think, to be, become the manager of because I think they need to do one of three things, right? They either need to invest significantly um, in, in, in getting a higher quality player for the brand of football that they're trying to play. Either it, That's route A. Route B would be they need to change their... Um, a managerial appointment and playing style to pick up maybe a Sam Allardyce or pick up maybe a, um, and, and, uh, and, and I don't, I'm just using him as kind of a framework, but like a manager who will play hard to beat football and grind out results. Right. So they need to do a invest significantly in like, uh, in, 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 you know, the brand of football they play in players, uh, cause they haven't done that in the last two times they've been in the Premier League. They, they just haven't done that. Like this season, they took a bunch of shortcuts with loan signings and kind of like, you know, up and coming, potentially, you know, young, no name players, you know, Milo Rashica and Josh Sargent, like, yeah, they're decent players, but like they're, you know, they're subs for any other Premier League team at best. And, um, so they need to a, a invest significantly or B, um, sort of get a little bit more defensive and protective around the brand of football that they're playing. And it doesn't really seem like they're willing to do either. Um, it seems like they're sort of content with like, hey, we, their philosophy is like, hey, we want to play good football. We want to play attractive football. But they're just going to keep running into this kind of perpetual cycle where they play that kind of football. They don't have the quality of player that's high enough. And that therefore, um, you know, they end up losing games on individual battles. And, 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 you know, and that happens over the course of the season, right? You look at Tim Cool letting in goals. So um, I think if, if 
if you're, I think the managerial appointment is kind of farcical because it doesn't really matter unless the the Norwich sort of appointment says, hey, we're going to appoint someone who's going to make us tough to beat in the Premier League. And then all of a sudden, that's when they say, we're going to be a Premier League club, but we're going to be tough to beat, right? Because they could go out, they could and go and be a Burnley or they could go and be, um, you know, I, I think very few teams have, have been able to do like what Brighton has done, for example. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, they they haven't really committed to a brand of football like that or invested like a Brighton has um, in, in top-level talent. So No, it um, just seems like they're, they're yeah, cool like, with going back down. They don't care. That's right, just like, exactly. that's like so, the vibe I get from the, the decisions that they make and the way that they play. It's like, well, it's good to be here while we're here. Right. And, yeah. and, and it's, if we go down, it's, it's fine. Interesting. Whatever. <laughs> right, and they—they've they, got some decent players there. They got that, that Norman who who scored uh, over the weekend. Um, I really like that signing, that Nor- Norwegian player. Um, I think Todd Cantwell when he comes back from injury. Timo Pukki's getting on a bit. He's, you know, he's he's old now, but um, I mean, there's a couple decent players. They have that young Irish center back like Adebana Bailey. I don't know, you know, don't fact check his, me on his name there, but um, they—I mean—they have some good young players. Adam Ida as well, like, but. Again, it, they just have to decide, like, what do we want to do? Do we want to, like, shell out? And Because clearly their investment strategy and the way they're running the club is just making them go up, down, up, down. Um, and they've got to – and there isn't a commitment and a vision, I think, of, like, where they want to end up. And maybe the vision is they want to go up, down, up, down. It's just unusual. No one's ever done that <laughs> intentionally. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. I don't know. Let's move on because it's Norwich. But we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, and maybe whoever they appoint will turn it around. Um, last time we were on here, we it was before the appointment of Antonio Conte at Spurs. Some we've talked about a decent amount. Um, you know, they they played last weekend and really did not look very good. Obviously, it's it's a little t- harsh to um, try to be picking apart results in his first uh, first game back in the prem with with Spurs here. But you know, I don't know. The Spurs team still has a lot of problems. I think. Um, I guess you go first. What's your initial take on this? Because people are losing their minds. So my my Antonio Conte appointment take is I think Antonio Conte is a very very good manager, and you think he's absolutely fucking ruthless. And I think he'll bite. I think he he'll bite people's heads off. And he is going to be. There's going to be. He, he there's going to be an explosion with him and Danny Lavi at some point. Um, and whether or not that causes Antonio Conte to lose his job, we'll see. Um, but it's Antonio Conte is going to demand time, and he's going to demand a little bit of space to implement his philosophy in the club, which is, again, very, very difficult, defensive, hard-to-beat football. Kind of like a Simeone in ways, but um, and in a Tuchel in ways. Like, uh, a lot of them play that, that five at the back with wingbacks, really closing down the wide attacking spaces. The other teams like to exploit, and so Conte is gonna gonna get that into that Spurs team over a while. Once they get really good defensively, then that will open up more space for the attackers. Um, I think Conte is gonna be fine. I think he's a good enough coach where he'll he'll be able to coach his players and demand them. They kind of will them almost in a in a like kind of a non compromising way to a decent finish in the table. Um, but the question is, is, is you know, like how long can you run sort of that like authoritarian authoritarian 
um, commanding, you know, I demand X, Y, and Z out of all these players' style. Whereas, like, Pacho, that, that club is sort of infrastructurally built around someone like a Pochettino, who's more of a Dean Smith, relationship manager type of player, as opposed to, like, a demanding tactician. And I don't I, even... I, I think... Yeah, God. I, I, I don't know. I, I would just think, I just think Spurs are kind of... The way their squad's set up and, and, and uh, the way the club is set up is um, they have you know, higher, potentially higher expectations than, than their squad sort of allows them to end up getting to no matter, no matter the coach, but it's going to be fun to watch. And I do think, you know, I do think at the end of the day, Conte will be fine with Spurs and he'll, he'll end up willing them. They'll, they'll get, they'll start, they'll start picking up results really soon and they'll go on a bit of a run. Um, don't be surprised about that. I don't think. Yeah, uh, what I was going to add earlier, zero shots on target against Everton, but again, one match, so I'm not going to judge too harshly on that. I think he's a really good manager. I think he's a good coach. I agree with you. He's a bit of a hard ass. And I think that Spurs will do pretty well under him. But it kind of feels like a... When I think about this appointment, it reminds me a little bit of Ronaldo to United. A lot of media buzz, big name, team that feels like they're they're struggling a little bit. They're, they have these high expectations. They're not quite getting there. And you bring in this big name with a lot of experience and a lot of success on his resume. But I don't think it's a good fit, really. And that's how I feel about with Ronaldo at United, like just tactically with the squad they have. If you watch them, it's just not really working very well. And they have to have him out there, and it just seems forced, and it just doesn't really feel like it fits with the rest of the team, the style they want to play with. And I think Conte will do fine in terms of man management and getting them set up the right way on the pitch. But... You're dealing with Daniel Levy, who notoriously is a very stingy owner and uh, very hands-on, very involved in the transfer market and um, the big decisions the club's making. And I think Antonio Conte is someone that might not take too well to that. He seems like he's very hands-on as well, wants everything to be done his way, likes to be in control. And I I could easily see them clashing heads pretty early on there. So in terms of a long-term fit, I can't see Antonio Conte going down as a Spurs legend here and staying there for years and years. I could see maybe like one or two seasons um, with some success and some drama and eventually them splitting up and, and having to find a new long-term vision. Yeah, I think I, I, I do like the comparison between Ronaldo and Conte. Um because it feels, you know, it feels almost like it's the last, like it could be the straw that broke the camel's back for both clubs, right? Like, um, what for in for in Ole's um, in Oliver Sokchar's reign with Ronaldo, like, hey, let's just throw Ronaldo at it, and that'll solve everything. Um, and then, you know, let's throw Conte at it, and it'll solve everything. Right, and like, if this doesn't work, say goodbye to Harry Kane, right? Like, they 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 have a couple yeah. of these guys that it's like, all right, well, we need to turn it around now, or we're gonna lose generational players. And Kane, they, are, they, yeah. sh- they already should have lost. So I think it's part of it is this move is like, hey, like we're going to lose Harry Kane. He's our star player. He's been with this club for, you know, as long as I've watched footy, I've seen Harry Kane there. Right. And he's notorious. I mean, if you he's think he's about synonymous it, with, if, with Spurs, and they're going to lose him if they can't turn this around and, and qualify for Europe or have, like, a lot of positive momentum. So, yeah, I, I like that take, too. Yeah. I think if you if you think about I mean Spurs the Spurs side is so crazy right like Hugo Lloris the French number the French national national team number one also you know he's won a World Cup won a World Cup with France um, Harry Kane who's you know best English player 
on the planet, you know, best striker on the planet. Mm. Um, you've, you've got uh, min Sun, who's one of the best wingers in the world, um, best, bet the best Asian player on the planet. I think I can say that. Um, and, and you just think like, okay, those are kind of three like elite level players, right? Like, and, and, you know, like Arsenal doesn't have three elite level players anywhere, right? And um, and so that that feels like such a gift, but yet they, you know, they kind of they just sputter around the league and don't aren't playing attractive football this season at all. And Kane's obviously not firing. So yeah, I think we'll we'll see what happens with with Levy. I, I do think though, I, I think the difference in the in the in the uh, in the comparison between Ronaldo and Conte and the situationally is just Conte has I think a, the ability to have a bigger influence. And I think if they're, I don't think Ronaldo will save United. I don't think one player can in a, in a team sport, but I do think a manager perhaps can, right? And maybe and maybe Conte is a silver bullet that like if they had Conte when Pochettino was there, they win the league in that sort of I think it was like the 2016-17 season. Um, but who knows. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, last thing, let's just touch on this quick because we're running long as always. Um, Newcastle, we talked about them quite a bit, our last pods. So we don't need to get too much into that. But Eddie Howe, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I think Newcastle, the Newcastle appointment of Eddie Howe um, it has two benefits. Uh, one, I think he'll, pull, he'll bring a much fresher – more attractive brand of football um, to St. James's Park. And I think that the Newcastle fans desperately need that uh, on the back of Steve Bruce. I think anyone who really comes down the back of Steve Bruce is going to see an immediate lift, right? Given Steve Bruce's style and, you know, lack of engagement and at the fan level and at the, at the individual player level. Um, you know, you look at Aston Villa, uh, Dean Smith immediately saw a huge lift right when <laughs> Steve Bruce left and Dean Smith came in, right? I think it's kind of almost the same thing. And, and Eddie Bruce Howe and Dean Smith, I don't know where... Exactly. I don't know if they're on like actually like really different levels as managers. So I think Eddie Howe will come in and see um, an immediate lift there. Um, and that team has pretty good players. And so, you know, that might be enough to keep them in division and, and do okay. And I think the cool thing about that, or the good thing uh, for Newcastle fans is even if the Eddie Howe, even if it doesn't, they don't get a big enough bump and they, they end up going down. Eddie Howe can win in the championship. They can kind of reload, rebuild, adjust their wage budget, become more lean financially, sell off some assets, and come straight back up um, in the following season with with a with a vengeance and with a budget. So, um, and because Eddie Howe's you know done his time in the championship, so I think it's a really smart hire um, from the Newcastle owners. Yeah, I would say for me, um, it's surprising. In a good way, I guess. I, I expected them to really really go after a bigger name and try to throw a lot of money at somebody. And I mean, Eddie Howe's probably getting paid pretty well, but it's a little bit of a different type of uh, direction that I would have thought they would have gone. But I think it's a good a good one. I like Eddie Howe when he was at Bournemouth. I was always impressed with him. He was there for a long time. Not a lot of resources, not a great squad, and he he was pretty successful with them. I wanted him to come to Palace for a while. Um, so I like Eddie Howe. I'm a fan of him. I don't really like Newcastle. We'll see how it goes. It, it does seem like kind of an odd one again, just because. You know, he's not someone that's going to have a lot of experience managing a huge budget or um, necessarily like bigger egos and things like that, which I think is going to come into play at Newcastle with the amount of money they're about to spend. Um, but I do like him, and I don't know. I think it'll, the question is, is he on a short leash or not? Because you're right. Like, he's a person that they could go down with and rebuild in the championship or whatever. But 
I don't know how desperate these Newcastle owners are going to be to keep them up. And if, you know, eight, 10 matches in Daddy Howe's career, they're not getting the results and they're still 19th or 20th in the table or whatever, maybe they'd make a snap decision and, and do what they can to try to stay up. I don't know. But initial thoughts, I like it. Don't love it, yeah, but I like that's it. A gr- that's a that's a great point. Like, if he doesn't get a few, if he doesn't get the Bruce bump, um, then I think it's going to get real hot and sweaty real quick, and uh, and he could be out by March. Yeah, right. And if that, and if they're in like a relegation scrap, and they, then they then they go in and bring in an old dog like an Allardyce or something. Who knows? Right. All right, we got a couple other things we want to hit on. Uh, first, I just wanted. I felt like we had to mention West Ham. We don't need to get too in depth, but they're on fire. They're only eleven matches in, but they're in third. Uh, level one points with Man City, who are in second, and they're coming off four straight wins. Um, they just beat Liverpool three two. Other wins are against Villa, Spurs, and Everton. I mean, th- here's what I wanted to bring up: Is there a better midfield duo in the Premier League than Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek? Um, I think off the cuff. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think Suchek hasn't been as good this season, actually, as he was last season. Um, I think Rice has been better this season, as a, uh, you know, kind of contrasting that. And they've got, Newcastle has gotten more goals from their attacking players. They've been they're really good from set pieces, just like they were last season. Not always Suchek, though. And their attacking players are just getting better. Uh, right? Fornals is, is Fornal, incredible. Uh, Fornals and Ben Rama have taken a huge step up. Ben Rama was starting towards, towards the end of last season. Fornals has been extremely impressive this season, and so has Jared Bowen. He's also taken a big step yep. up. I would agree. And and Antonio as well. Um, yeah, I, I think I listen. I, I I like I I love the way West Ham play because it's such an awesome you know like cracking into the top four. Um, you know, and they they that result against Liverpool was massive this past weekend. You know, two two corner goals um, and a goal from open play on the counter. Very Aston Villa esque that sort of counter goal from that seven two uh, seven two drumming that Villa had against Liverpool last season. I think, unfortunately, um, West Ham. I think they're a good side. I think they finish in the top six this season. Um, but you know, you put them up. You put them up against consistently against the type of schedule. They don't have European football as well, which helps them. No, they do. I do. Uh, they do, sorry. Yeah. Um, they don't have Champions League football. Um, they, I don't think, I've seen this West Ham team that's very similar to like, comp- like in terms of composition as it is right now. I've seen them go out and play some pretty poor games. I've seen them go and be um, be worked. Uh, Crystal Palace is giving them really tough games. Aston Villa is giving them really tough games. They're kind of the team that's like always going to play to the level of the competition a little bit. So they're going to be really good against some of the tough teams. I don't know if they're going to like, shut out or you know blank some of the lower i can see them getting beat by norwich i can see them getting playing a tough game against newcastle i can see them i can see palace drumming them a little bit so i think that's where they'll play they'll be kind of like leicester was you know in that 2015 run um where they played really well against the big teams against the, they've find that some of the bottom teams a little bit harder to play against and so you know at this time of the year you know uh, spurs was top of the table last season and then kind of look where that pan, that panned out so i don't know i'm not going that deep into kind of West Ham endorsement. Right. I, I agree. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I've watched them a lot this season and they're legit. They got a lot of talent and they're all bought into David Moyes. And I, I think it, he's managing I think if your question right is now. like, 
Yeah, I think. But if I think if your question is like, are they a contender? No, they're not. Probably not. Probably not a title contender yet. Um, All right. One other thing I wanted to mention. uh, We'll move on from West Ham and get into them more later in the season. But I owe Arsenal an apology. I don't know if I'm ready to to directly apologize to Mikel Arteta yet. So if he's listening, it doesn't apply to him. It's just Arsenal in general. Um, I was a little harsh uh, a couple weeks into the season. Um, They were really bad. They were really, really, really bad. I had never seen a team play that bad with that type of talent before, I don't think. They're better now. So, Arsenal, I apologize. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe's good. Ben White looks pretty good. Um, Ramsdale's good. I, that's that's really all I have to say. I just felt like I needed to, to come out and clear the air there. I'm a bit of an Arsenal hater. I still think they're probably going to have a little bit of a downturn. This is We'll probably talk one more time this season about Arteta being on the hot seat. But I'm sorry. All right. Well, uh, Mikel. Um, no, not Mikel. De- I didn't apologize to him yet. I'm not ready to Sorry. let him off the hook. Just Arsenal in general. Uh, right. Mikel, DM Chris for a separate apology. He can come on. He can apologize to you on air. If he comes on the pod, episode. I'll consider it. <laughs> Imagine we got Mikel <laughs> on a podcast episode for like an apology of form, and you just didn't do it. He's got to win me over still. Uh, so, yeah. All right. He would be like... Uh, I've, I've almost found myself doing a Mikel Arteta impression, oh, you know, like kind of that, that like lispy Spanish accent that he has with Lego hair. He doesn't um, open his mouth very wide. Anyway, um, no. that's all I have to say. His eyebrows don't move. His eyebrows don't move either <laughs> if you watch him. Oh, his hair too. He's, I think he just hairsprays his whole face. Everything above the shoulders is just sprayed in place. But all right. Well, you got one other thing you want to talk about before we go to Fantasy Corner, right? Yeah. I, I just wanted to talk – I just, I fucking hate the word just. Um, I want to talk about the VAR uh, performance so far this season in the Premier League. The reason being is because this past weekend we saw a few different decisions, uh, you know, where VAR was factored into the decision. Um, uh, two notable ones, three notable ones that, that come to mind. One, uh, you had the Allison own goal where Allison and, and Angelo Albana jumped together. Albana sort of raised his arms, one into Allison sort of knocked Allison away from the ball. Allison didn't, you know, is kind of an honest jump at it. Jurgen Klopp was furious that it was an obvious error. Should a goal should have been disallowed. Goal was given as Allison own goal. Um, Liverpool go down early, 1-0 in that game. Um, in the uh, Spurs match, um, Conte's debut with uh, managerial debut with Spurs. Hugo Lloris dives, takes down, I'm not sure who it was. It might have been Adamo Lukman. Um, yeah, not sure who it was. Um, but he, he, no, no, it was Richarlison. Um, he, he punches the ball out and uh, gets a little bit of the ball, brings down the man as well. It's ruled a penalty. They go to VAR, um, and, and Robbie Must was talking about in the studio. Like, I don't know if it was clear and obvious error for them to overturn the decision. It, they did overturn it, and they, they didn't give up a, a penalty and, um, and just um, took the penalty back. And then lastly, the decision um, against against uh or it was in the crystal palace wolves game where joel ward sort of fouled a player at the end of the box which i didn't think was a foul they said it was a foul oh i thought it was a foul foul, but then but then the middle ground was like it would they gave it like outside of it was outside of the area where contact happened although the player the contact kind of maintained into the box which there it would be outside the area and it was it's reviewable because it's out because they thought it was in the area and i think i think that's always interesting when something gets reviewed that they give in the area, but then ends up being outside. So, like, kind of interesting that it shouldn't have been reviewable if it was just a foul outside the area. Anyway, um, 
I, I just and so it got me thinking a lot about VAR and sort of my interaction with it this year and my take on it this year. I think I think everyone can agree um, that VAR has been better this season. There's been a lot less sort of complaints. Dean Smith has been pretty vocal though, or was pretty vocal before his sacking. The one thing I will say that we're starting to come up more and more and more is that VAR is supposed to come in and overturn a decision when it's clear and obvious. And the interesting thing as a viewer is when I'm watching games, I'm listening to commentary, I'm also watching myself, talking to friends, whomever. Um, what is clear and obvious to one person is very, it's very different what's clear and obvious to another person, right? And, and it reminds me of almost that, like the football, the NFL rules around like, well, what is a football move, right? Or like he, he made up, you know, or like when it comes to in, in, intentional grounding, like an intentional, uh, intentional effort to find a receiver, right? Like what is intentional and not intentional is, is it differs, right? It's subjective. And so I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know if they have to rewrite that language as we get further. I think there'll be more strain on that, what is clear and obvious, because legally and by definition, VAR should step in if there is a clear and obvious error by the referee and to overturn a decision. But you're starting to see some decisions that happen on field because they don't want to be kind of overturning everything with like micro lines for offsides and handballs and whatever. You're starting to see decisions that like are a little bit questionable on the field just being like kept as is, right? Or in the Lloris instance, being overturned. And I think if I'm if I'm Everton and I'm that the recession goes against me, I don't think that's a clear and obvious error. I think with the Klopp instance, like I think Klopp is a, just a complainer, and I think I don't think that was a clear and obvious error, and so that the ruling on the field stood. Um, but I think that's that that sort of diction is just going to create a lot of conf- uh, gray area, and it's going to be interesting to see like whether or not they reinforce that with situational instances on like what is clear and obvious, right? Like is clear and obvious for a penalty challenge, like goalkeeper makes contact with the ball. Therefore, that's the only thing they're looking for. Any contact with the ball is like refutes clear and obvious. Because in my opinion, a goalkeeper could make contact with the ball, but still to wipe out the man, that could still be a foul, right? Um, but like what is clear and obvious? And other people will say, if you get the ball, like that's the end all be all, right? It's tough. So, I mean, replay in sport in general is really tough and it's complicated. Um, when it comes to different sports and the replay effectiveness it just changes there's a lot of calls in in soccer that can be very subjective that can totally flip the game a penalty and a red card are the two main ones right and there's not what what might be a penalty to some person uh which one person might not be to another and the same thing with like a red card and um that's kind of a, a good comparison to the nfl like a, a pass interference right or a holding or whatever i don't think you're real holding but you know what i mean um when you look at like baseball, for instance, safer out, you know, they can just basically slow the footage down to a standstill and you can pretty much tell. There's there's some calls in certain sports that it's pretty pretty clear. Like we, we can get it right. And I think the the challenge with replay is you're trying to perfect something that just can't be um, exact because it's not just black and white, it's not just yes or no, it's not just penalty or, or no penalty. Um, and it's different to everybody and you'll get the ref on the field that makes a decision. Then you get the VAR people in the booth that are looking at it. And then you might have the ref come back and you have two commentators telling you what they think's going on. And then you have players on both sides trying to <laughs> influence the, I mean, no one's going to agree. It's just not going to happen. And it's just challenging. It complicates things a little bit more in some ways. You're trying to make this as, as fair and exact and precise as possible. And that's just not how it works. And you can slow something down to, you know, very, very slow motion or frame by frame, but 
it's not what it's looking like in real time. And when someone mm-hmm. goes in for a tackle, it's different when they're running full tilt versus when we slow it down and we look, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not something yeah. you can perfect. So there's always going to be controversy around it. It's never going to be perfect. They'll probably keep tinkering with it. They'll probably make some decisions that are good and some that are going to set them back. And that's what the NFL has done with replay for a couple of decades now. People still complain about the refs every single day in the NFL. This the Monday night football this week, I mean, people are still complaining about it. It's just going to keep happening. And the more they let VAR influence games and results, the more people are going to complain. Because not only is it subjective, but we're watching it like 100 times when they're reviewing this, right? So what might have been like a penalty shout that gets turned down, now it's something that we're looking at a dozen times. And we get to all get a magnifying glass out and have our own opinions. People love to argue and people love to not change their minds and think they're right. And just going to dig your heels in and it's just different. It just brings more attention, I think, to all the tough calls. And ultimately that's a lot of pressure for the refs. Um, yeah, it's a good. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It does draw sort of a larger, uh, you know, thesis to, you know, rulings in sports and there's so much money in sport, right? So it's like, there's so much pressure. And like you said, everything's dissected. It almost, it's funny because as a kid, you're told when you're playing, right? Like control what you can, right? Like, you know, there's, there's like energy in the game, right? So like if you do enough right things in baseball, you'll get, you'll get enough calls, right? Like if you, you know what I mean? Um, you, you're kind of told that the, at least I wasn't in, in, in hockey, right? Like, you know, like don't worry about what you can't control with the refs, right? Like, you know, if, if there's kind of like the hockey gods, right? You do enough things, right? Like, you know, you play good tactically, you, you play good defensively, you hustle, whatever, you know, you'll get calls. And well, I always <laughs> just think that, think that as a player, um, I guess, I mean, maybe I was just fucking lied to my entire childhood athletic career, but uh, yeah, it's, it feels like the opposite. Obviously, ever the you know the fan base population at large has the exact opposite opinion, right? Like, oh, my team doesn't really need to do anything right in order to earn a call or to, in order to earn you know a little subjectivity. Yeah, when I was a kid, my coaches in baseball always told me to stop making faces every time the umpire doesn't call a strike. He's going to hate you and never give you a call because um, I, I wore my emotions on the sleeve out on the hill there. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, VAR is what it is. It's here to stay. I think it has been better this year. I still don't love it. it it's okay. Um, anyway, let's let's hop over to the, your fantasy quarter for a, a quick second here before we get to the predictor picks, Jack. Yeah, the fantasy corner, there's been a little drama. So for um, listeners not in the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League, uh, Nick Harmon um, has been uh, – I don't want to say dethroned because there's a lot of time left in the season, but the Diamond Dogs, shout out Andrew Lockman, has taken over first in the league. So quick update there. Um, there have been two members of my my blood family, my blood relatives, um, two Ridgeways who have played chips against uh, Nick Harmon, who is the top point getter in our division. So Nick is on a bit of a vengeance tour, um, but quick shout out to Nick, um, who just announced uh, that he's expecting his second child with his wife, Marta, um, baby boy. They announced it with uh, Villa Kit. So um, congrats, Nick. Quick shout out. Um, so in, in the fantasy corner, I, I wanted just to touch on, there's been a bit of a theme. We've talked about this a few times on the pod where there's really attractive football played among sort of the, the middle to lower parts of the table now. And so what you're seeing in terms of fantasy, especially when there's, you know, these clubs are, are have international football um, and then Champions League or European football midweek, um, a lot of the premium assets um, in fantasy are players who are really integral to their teams, teams that don't have European football, um, but they're playing attractive football. So a great example of that is Connor Gallagher at Crystal Palace, who's, a, I think, the third highest scoring player in Fantasy Prem, um, who 
plays for very very effectively and often for Crystal Palace and in and Crystal Palace aren't playing European football. And so my quick fantasy corner advice is look for assets that are playing uh, playing every week for a team that isn't playing in Europe, and then they're one of the kind of shoe ins for their lineup. So I personally I have Wilfred Zaha who I picked up lately for that same reason. Um, you could jump over to Rafinha at Leeds. Um, you could think about uh, Maxwell Cornet at Burnley. Um, who's going to be playing every week given the goals he's scoring. Um, and they're all kind of in their 5 million, 5 to max 7 million pound range as opposed to paying 7.5 for Phil Foden or Jack Grealish, who might play once every four weeks, but then are attractive because every four weeks they might get like a two or three, you know, two, a two return game. Um, and just trying to avoid those guys, I think. Yeah, love it. Um, all right, let's, let's hop over to Predictor. Uh, predictor, first game, Chris, Wolves versus West Ham. We talked about West Ham a little bit, um, given they're a contender. Not. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think they're going to win this one. I think Wolves have been interesting this season. Um, I don't really know what to make of them entirely. I think they're probably just going to finish somewhere between like ninth and 12th. Um, but I think they've been decent. Uh, they've probably exceeded my expectations a little bit. I think West Ham just have an insane amount of momentum right now, though. And uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Hammers. Um, I'm going to go 2 nil West Ham for the same reason. Wolves, very interesting team, I agree. They started off really slow. Um, they've like still got the Portuguese contingent. Um, and Raul Jimenez looks back and healthy. Adama's not in the starting lineup. Huang's come in and scored a few goals. They are an interesting team, just like an interesting team. I love Ruben Neves. Line. I love him. Yeah, and and he's and he's got his like kind of grandfather, um, Jao Moutinho, in central midfield with him. But um, I think West Ham um, take it to Wolves, just like Crystal Palace did two 0 All right, next one we got Norwich without Daniel Farka against Southampton. Who you got here? So this is interesting because uh, both teams uh, honestly haven't been. I mean, Southampton picked up some results as of late, but. And Norwich just picked up a result, but you know, a month ago, if you were to ask me about this result, I'd be like, Ugh, don't want to watch this. And I don't know if it's going to be the most attractive game to watch at all. Uh, I just think Southampton and Norwich, uh, Southampton are better coached, uh, higher caliber of player. I think they're going to win 2-0. Yeah, Southampton have started to figure it out defensively a little bit. They've uh, they've won three of their last four and, and drew in the other one. They've had a little bit of an easier schedule, but Norwich is as easy as it gets. Um, I'm going to go 3-0 Southampton in this one. Uh, next match is... Probably the marquee match of the weekend, I would have to think, right? Uh, we got Liverpool against Arsenal at Anfield. What do you like here? Uh, I think it, because it's at Anfield, I think Liverpool will come back with a bit of a vengeance after that uh, that last week's result. So I think they went three one. Um, they have a high, they have high, I think the highest xG in the league, um, but uh, they did score two last week. But uh, they've been a bit leaky, oddly enough, in like you know unusual situations on the break. Um, they looked really vulnerable on the break against West Ham. So maybe Arsenal snags on the break with Aubameyang's pace, or you know Smith Rowe on the break, or, or something like that. Um, and then uh, or Bukayo Saka, um, or it's a set piece goal that they might concede. So I got three one. Uh, Liverpool will still win and, and handily, I think. Yeah, I kind of thought that I couldn't give an apology to Arsenal and then pick against them in the same pod. So I'm going to go 1-1. I do think Arsenal have a chance in this one. They've really impressed me the last few times I've watched them. I think Smith-Rowe is becoming a a very, very good player. Um, Pepe's actually even been better when he's been playing. Aubameyang, I think, has kind of lost a step. 
Um, he missed a penalty last week, and he, I don't know if, if anyone was watching, he basically got a goal disallowed by, there was, there was a ball going into the net, and he just stuck his foot out at it, and he was way off sides. Um, he didn't look good. But I think overall, uh, Liverpool maybe lost a little bit of their momentum there, and I think Arsenal are going to come up with a, uh, a big fight in this one. I'm going to go 1-1 one, one draw. Um yeah, I think that's a. Yeah, I love that point out of Obama and Chris. That that hit. I for, we completely forgot to mention that. Um, that you know him tapping that ball and it was already going in and missed a penalty. Like yeah, it was I, I easier he, for me to remember because he, he was on my fantasy team. That's tough. I think he had. <laughs> he must have had an xG of like two point one in that game and ended up with no goals. And he does that sometimes. Like he is like shocking for. Like the uh, the quality, like the name, the quality that's affiliated with his name. Like he has some shocking misses and just some weird, like. But then also, you know, he, he also has some games where he takes over with his pace. So very interesting play. It was a it was a bad performance um, overall, but I mean, they still won, and I don't know. It was tough having him on a fantasy team. I'm not gonna lie. You just brought him in, and then he misses a penalty. It was a terrible penalty. But anyway, we, I digress. So let's get to the next one. We got Man City at home against Everton. I think we we're both on the same page here. I got City winning three nil. Um, City are just one of those teams that you you always expect the bounce back. They lost that game to Palace. They came back and dominated United. Everton have been in pretty poor form after a really good start to the season. Just don't see them being able to keep up with City. If you look at this Everton team on paper, I mean, they are just not very good. I don't know how they got the results they did early on this season, but they're they're running into a really tough uh, part of their their schedule here in the first half, and it's just starting to get ugly. Um, I don't know. I'm a little nervous for them at this point. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, Everton came out. People don't really know how they're going to play with Rafa, and then they're playing very similar to similarly to that new how that Newcastle team did when uh, Ayose Perez was there for Newcastle under Rafa. Um, he was kind of like the Damari Gray. They play that four four one one. Um, you know, you've seen Solomon Rondon, who's like thirty three instead of Calvert Lewin yet. I think Everton need to get a little bit healthier. Um, they they have had a lot of injuries to their you know to kind of give them a little bit of a scapegoat there. Um, but yeah, it's been, now people know how they're going to play. Um, they're going to play a low block. Um, they're going to try and counter press occasionally. Uh, and kind of everyone knows that now. And it's, and you know, when you're relying from like 35 yard screamers from Andrews Townsend, like those are going to dry up real quick as we know, um, watching Palace. So I, I've got uh, Man City winning this 2-0 against Everton. Um, Everton will be resilient defensively, but Man City will get to similar, just like how they did against United. Yep. All right, last one of the slate, Spurs at home against Leeds. What do you like here? Uh, I think this one will be pretty cagey. Um, again, I think Conte is going to demand clean sheets. I think Leeds will, you know, might shoot themselves in the foot, you know, whether it's an own goal or maybe a penalty Harry Kane, you know, puts in or something like that. Maybe a Sun kind of crazy run. Uh, I think Spurs managed to get one given their quality up front, but I think it'll be a KG affair, and I think Spurs win one 0 Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that just Leeds defensively have not really impressed me at any point in the season. Uh, I do think it's a time for, uh, you know, Conte's going to get his result, I think, here. They didn't get, well, I guess you could take, say they got a point against Everton, but they're going to have a little bit more time to, to work with them. The international break um, will be a good time. It's like a little bit of a reset for the squad. I'm going to go 2-1 Spurs. Leeds, I'm just, I don't, I just don't see it with them this season. They're going to have to really make some changes to to get back on the, the horse, I think. But, yeah, 2-1 Spurs. Um, I did want to... Shout out as well, our leaderboard here before we head out. So we'll, we'll go with the top five as always. In fifth place, none other than your father, Andy Ridgway, 
124 points. Fourth place, we got wow. the Sean man, Sean Purcell, 126 points. Third place, Stephen McConnell, 130 points. And then the, the top two, it's been highly contested between these two all season. Second place, we got Aaron James Zinda, 144 points, enjoying himself down in Mexico this week. And then in, at the top of the table, we have the soon-to-be father of two, the tallest man in the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League, Nicholas Harmon. Tall guy bets 69, 158 points. Yeah, I think if you're a listener and you don't know who Nick is, you got to be thinking, like, all right, this guy is winning their fantasy league. Like, he's top of the predictor league. Like, should he just get on the pod? I, you know? I, and, last pod, uh, I said uh, he should probably take over. Yeah, I mean, maybe he should. Who knows? Um, but either way, congrats, Nick. Um, he probably wouldn't yeah. have had to apologize to Arsenal today. But, you know, that's yeah, what happens. I mean, he's, he, but it, like, he, he's got his baby, he, you know, he's got his baby. He's got a baby like kind of playing around with like toys like in his you know in his sunroom and he you know baby's like kind of like hanging from his foot and like you know hitting itself in the head you know she's hitting herself in the head with like a toy and Nick's like setting in his predictor app right like shouldn't you be parenting instead of doing this shit Nick? yeah maybe he's taking a little bit too too much time away from the kids it's a good point um so you gotta you do have to kind of ask those questions as he gets further and further up the table um and separates himself further in the predictor league where are his priorities at Right, and like we're not asking those questions. The people are. The, you know? They they have to be right. Them. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, hopefully his wife's not listening to this. But anyway, I got nothing else. What about you, Jack? No, that's it, guys. It's uh, it's been a good episode. Um, appreciate you guys listening to us with the the uh, managerial carousel um, that's already started turning. Um, and it's going to be well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, with, especially at Aston Villa. You know, I think we're a little biased to f- figure that out. Um, but international break, so hopefully we can kind of scratch your Premier League itch um, over this. Uh, I don't really want to scratch your itch, but hopefully in a Premier League way we can. Um, and then over this next um, week and a half, we'll kind of just sit on our hands until the Prem's back. Um, as always, Chris, uh, just goes to show. Everyone's human. Thanks for listening.